0: I've entitled this message, Push Back or Be Pushed Back. Push back or be pushed back. And on the surface, maybe that sounds a little bit aggressive. But you know what? There's a lot happening. And when you're getting ready for a battle, when you're getting ready for a conflict, or, or maybe getting ready, um, a host of emotions might just start going through your mind and, and, and your heart and what's, what's happening, right? But just hearing the title, Push Back or be pushed back musters up some emotion in people and if that's happening that's good push back or be pushed back listen when war is looming and a fight is about to break out anxieties start to flare up concern for your your future starts to heighten, and you start paying attention to what's really happening around you. Listen, if you if you're outside of a car, and, if you're inside your car, and all of a sudden see you see a fight breaking out, you're wondering, is this going to affect me? Do I need to get run this red light? Do I need to get out of out of the area? Right when you see this stuff happening, anxieties start to flare up, and I just think sometimes that's a good place to be. Um, I think too many Christians are living in this very docile, very comfortable zone approaching to, li- to, to this living, um, and it's easy to do nothing, it's easy to be compliant, it's easy to be complacent, it's easy to stay home, it's easy not to get involved and, and simply just keep the peace. And many people think it's keep the peace at any reason, right, at any cost, keep the peace. But the Bible says in Romans 12, verse 18, if it's possible, if it's possible, right. as far as it depends on, on you, live at peace with everyone. So that means don't go looking for a fight. Don't go looking for a fight. Don't go looking, don't go looting, and don't go destroying other people's property. See, that's hostile, and that's not biblical. Don't destroy your neighbor's property. Don't, don't go on Facebook and just start beating people up verbally behind your, behind your keystrokes, all right? Don't do that. But can we defend ourselves? And and are there times that we need to be on the offensive and not always I don't mean offended, on the offensive, and not always lay down and just be walked over. And I think the answer to both of those are yes. In fact, I actually think we're commanded to stand up and stand firm and hold the line and not give in to certain demands. And I think, in fact, I know that we ought to proclaim and you know, proclaim and promote. The good news of Jesus Christ, right? And that is going to make people angry. You have to understand that, right? That is going to remove peace. You need to understand that. It will make people angry. It will get people upset. It will have people say, yo, stay over there. Keep that Jesus over there, right? It will upset people. You have to understand that. Uh, Jesus is pro-life. Satan is anti-life. You need to understand that, right? Just because these topics uh, have become political and personalized, right, doesn't mean that we need to stop talking about certain things, right, and presenting and proclaiming the good news of Christ. Jesus is pro-life. It's like our rainbow, right? When did that become political? When did our rainbow become political? Uh, But it was given by God as a covenant reminder to us, and God blessed Noah and his family and told them to be fruitful and multiply and says, I'm going to bless you and fill the earth. And and that would and and a flood will never come again to destroy the earth like it once happened. So why did God why why did God initially send the send the flood in, in the first place? Because every inclination of man's man's thoughts and hearts were towards evil. And so he's going to wipe away mankind. But Noah. Noah comes and finds favor in the Lord, and he was spared because he found favor with the Lord. And his wife was spared, and his three boys were spared. His family was spared, right? And, and, and their wives were spared. So eight people were spared, and all of mankind. It rained 40 days and 40 nights, and the waters covered the entire earth. Not a little about of earth. It, wasn't, it, was, a, it was a covering of the entire earth. And every living thing, every creature, every human was destroyed on earth. Unless you were protected by, that, by, by God in that ark. Sin, like a cancer, needs to be purged. And so there are times you just will not have peace. And there are times that we just must defend. And there are times that we need to be on the offensive. Now if we keep reading Romans 12, we're not going to do that today, but if you do, I think it's speaking more about anger burning in you so strongly that you go ahead of God and you try to destroy and harm uh, harm others that are against you, not from a defending posture or a protecting posture, but simply out of retribution, out of anger. You're mad, like we see with the looters and the rioters. It was simply violence and lawlessness, and evil, and godliness. And that's not the way we ought to live as believers. And the world is filled today with people who are violent and mean-spirited and want to bring down people and make you live in fear and terrorize you. And the list goes on and on. Some will live by the sword. Others are to live by the cross. Verse 21 says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In fact, we're supposed to show the love of God to those who oppose us. We are to be kind to those that actually stand against us. But there's an evil out there, right? And darkness simply won't go away, and therefore you cannot always live peaceably in this world. I believe that it's demonic in its nature, and it's powerful, and it comes to kill, steal, and destroy, and it will push you, and it will push you. And the question is, when it pushes you, will you push it back? Will you yield to it? Will you cow down to it? Will you be silent? Or will you fight back and will you push back darkness? In a moment we're going to read Matthew 16, 18. And I believe the church in this portion of scripture is supposed to be aggressive. Not complacent and not always just simply compliant. The church was never meant to always be on the defensive either. We are to advance the kingdom of God, His will, His purpose, not be defeated and not be pushed back all the time or pushed around all the time, but we are to stand firm in our faith. We are to hold the line. And we have lost so much ground to the enemies of God. We have lost so much because so many believers have been pushed and have been silenced rather than pushing back and speaking up and standing up and speaking out against evil and against wrong. We have a voice, and our voice should be heard. And our voice is a matter of life and death. It is a matter of life and death. And so i like to dive into this further, this portion of Scripture, and look at the church locally and globally and ask, what is the church? What is our role and responsibility as believers? What is the role as people of God? Finally, are we, are we to be pushing forward or are we to be pushed back? And I think this country in so many ways have been split And I think the church has been split in so many ways that it has weakened us. When we are to unite in our faith, we are to unite in love. We are to unite in purpose. We are to unite as people of God. But so many are divided. And let me tell you, I'm so glad that right now this church has united as one in worship, in mind, in unity, in rallying together. It's a beautiful thing to be a part of, church. All right? It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. You You should praise the Lord in the process as we're just uniting in faith and love, right? But Satan is laughing at so many believers of God because they're weak in their faith. And I believe it's, take, it's time to take a stand and push, push, push back the enemy of God. And too many saints of God have capitulated to those in power, to those in government, to those who authority have abused their power and position in many ways. Um, believers have played right into the hand of Satan himself. They conform to the patterns of the world instead of being ye conformed and transformed by the power of God. The devil is real, and the devil really wants to hurt you. He really wants to harm you and destroy you. He wants you to stay quiet. He wants you to stay complacent. If you do nothing for the Lord, great. That's what he's saying, great. Satan's okay with that. And that might be okay with you, and it's okay with Satan, but I got to tell you, it's not okay with me and it's not okay with God. He wants his people to be saved. And set free from sin and the bondages of hell in their life. He wants them to live fruitful and productive lives. And be transformed by the power of God. By, by the Holy Spirit. And his power and love. Amen. Oh this should excite you in your belly or whatever it is. If, it, you know, if it's empty fill it up with the love of God. Hallelujah. God has given the church power and authority of more than just our muscles. And that's good to be strong, but we need to be strong in the Lord. We need to be strong in faith, amen? amen? So let's get into this message and stand up one more time. We'll be in the book of Matthew, chapter 16. We'll be looking at verses 15 through 18. And what about you, Jesus asked? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you, I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades or the gates of hell will not overcome it. Let's pray. Lord, make us bold people for you, O oh God. Help us to push back darkness and be the light to a dark world, O oh God. Help us to understand that not only do we stand on your promises, okay, we walk by faith, we walk in purpose, and we walk in your authority. In Jesus' name, Amen and Amen. You may be seated. Many of us know that Jesus was part of the carpenters' union, right? <laughs> we got electrician unions out here and different unions of the church he's part of the carpenter's union right he had a trade he's a tradesman he was a he was a builder right he worked with his hands and he he worked his father's business right he ran the carpenter's business and and so it makes sense that jesus is now speaking in this portion of scripture about building and building his church but first he says who do you say that i am who do you say that i am jesus is always making it personally and and maybe initially it's general. So in verse 13 when he says who do people say the son of man is? See, this is a general question, this is broad, this is this is vague in a sense, right? Those over there, who those over there, who do who do they say that I am those way over there, right? On, on that side of the of the railroad tracks, on that side of the ocean, those people in that camp, who do they say the Son of Man? But eventually Jesus makes it personal and so he asks his disciples who are with him face to face, he asks them, who do you say that I am? Every one of us need to come to a point in our life where we, we answer that question for ourselves. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is? Who, Jesus is? who is Jesus to you? Is he a prophet or a miracle worker? Right? Is he is he a healer? Is he a tradesman? Right? Or, well, who is he? Is he really God? And Simon Peter, representing his crew, his friends, his disciples, he just jumps right onto the water. He just jumps right into the conversation. In verse sixteen, "You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God." So, the first thing I want to speak about this morning is who is Jesus? Yes. Who is Jesus? And then you really need to answer this for yourself and reflect on that question, who is Jesus to you? And Peter answers this straightforward. It's just a simple response. He is the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus is God, Peter is saying. Jesus is God. Saints of God, if we get nothing today, understand Jesus is God. It's important to understand who we're following and who we're dedicating our life to and who we stand opposed to. It's important to know who you're getting involved with. What, what team are you part of? Too many people claim to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ until things get rough and tough, and then they go home and they take their toys home with them. Wah, wah, wah.
1: <laughs>
0: until, they're, until they're called to do something for him. And then they start to say, oh, I didn't sign up for this. Oh, I didn't realize I had, a, I had a sacrifice. I didn't realize I had to give. I didn't realize I had to serve. I didn't realize I have to give up my dreams to do his will and follow his ways. But you know, church, following Christ will cost you something. It cost him everything. He gave his life for us because he loved us that much and he loves his church. And you stand on that. Jesus Christ loves his church, but I didn't, ex- I didn't realize there was an expectation back from me. I didn't realize I had a job to do. I didn't realize I was supposed to get involved. I didn't realize I was supposed to be a responsible person, pure and holy, and live pure and holy. I thought salvation was freedom at any cost. Living on my own, my own way. I can do whatever I feel like doing. I, I just want to go for a ride and ride on the coattails of those Christians that are doing good. I just thought I could get to heaven with Jesus while living like the devil on earth. It's just not true. There will be a cost for following Jesus Christ, a sacrifice. You will have to give him your life or else you're not part of his team. In fact, once you're saved, you're no longer your own, right? Your life belongs to Him. He has purchased you now. He is now to be your Lord and master of your life. And if He is not Lord of everything you are and everything that you you have, then He is not Lord at all of your life. It's all or it's nothing. It's not a little dip. It's all or nothing. You're either a little wet or you're not wet. So many people want the blessings and, and benefit from His blessing without the pain of His suffering. You have to go through the cross to be saved. Now that doesn't mean we crucify you on a cross again. But it does mean you live the crucified life. Amen? You know, that was weak. But you do live the crucified life. In a way, you die to self. And Jesus died on the cross so that we can have eternal life. Our goal should be to live more like Jesus Christ. That He should be Lord of our life. Amen? Or. We should move away from our sinful nature and move more to his perfection and be complete in Christ Jesus. We are to live like him. We are to model him, right? We are to, when people see us, they see Jesus in us. And Peter says, you are the Christ, which means you're the anointed one, the savior of the world, the son of the living God. We're to be pure and holy because he is pure and holy. Now this Greek work, this Greek word, uh, Christo, means the anointed one or the chosen one. And the Hebrew word here is the Messiah, right? Now, Jesus Jesus was given that name by his mother Mary in her obedience, right, to the angel's declaration. You can read that in Luke 131. You shall call him Jesus. And so Jesus is his name and Christ is his title. And over the years, people... We'll we'll use Christ as His title, and it's come to be that way in a lot of places, but it wasn't that way from the beginning. And when you use the term Lord Jesus Christ, you're equating Him to God. You're saying Yahweh or or Jehovah. Lord, Master, Jesus Christ means Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Anointed One, Jesus the Chosen One. And there's hundreds of prophetic uh, passages in the Old Testament pointing to the coming Messiah that he will be the deliverer and savior of the world. So so many people uh, and the disciples and the people of that day, they, they thought the Messiah would come a certain way. They thought he would come with military might and to be released, release them of their years of and decades of bondage and captivity uh, from earthly leaders. And when Jesus came, he didn't necessarily do that. And so they were confused and they were saying, how can he be the Messiah? He came as a baby. He came as a suffering servant. He came riding a donkey. He came with humility. And ultimately, he came because he loved us and wanted to deliver all people from the power and the penalty of sin. But he didn't come the way they expected him to come. Even though all the prophecies were declared, the prophecies where the words were written, he, they didn't understand. But Peter, oh, you got to love Peter, enlightened by God, said, You are the Christ. You are the anointed one. Now usually being anointed, you'd be anointed with oil. And oil was poured on one's head. And to signify also that you're part of God's service. But it was also symbolic that God was anointing or choosing you. And so not only was Jesus anointed at least two times by in oil in, in, on different occasions. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit. You might want to write this down. Acts chapter 10 verse 38 how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went around doing good and healing who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. Peter says, you are the Christ, the anointed one, the Living, the son of the living God. And Jesus is the one who fulfills all these Old Testament prophecies of the coming Messiah. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. He is the chosen one, the Messiah, the deliverer and savior of the world. And not only is he chosen by God, Jesus is God and the second person of the Trinity. Now, I know this is confusing to a lot of people, and it is. And, and, and God is above our understanding and our comprehension And yet he can be known, but he can't be fully known. And when he's known, he's known in our own terms in a way. But the Bible teaches in human words that God exists in three persons, not three gods, but but one God, one one God in three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God in three persons. So Jesus is God. He is the only begotten Son of God, and he is one of a kind. There's none like him. Hallelujah. There's none like him. Amen. Amen. In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the Christmas story of, of Jesus coming as a baby to earth to dwell with us, to dwell with humankind. God came to earth because he loved us and wanted a love relationship with us. This is a mystery and a miracle, and yet it's 100% true. Right, Ari? It is true. Peter understands much of this and the light went off in his head and his heart, you are the Christ. You are the anointed one. You are the chosen one. You are the son of the living God. And we need to get to the point that that we believe this too. Amen? That we are convicted and convinced that Jesus is God and we are going to dedicate our life to God. And if it means dying for him, so be it. I know these are hard words, but so be it. We are to live for him. We are to die for him. Now Peter wavers at time, and I get this. Through Scripture, we see Peter wavers. Well, let me tell you, you will waver in your faith as well. And when you do, confess, confess your fears, confess your failures, confess your sins unto God, and repent. Repentance is simply missing the mark. It's turning from your sins and turning towards God. And when you do, you pray and you speak from Him. You speak to Him from your heart confess and repent of your sins and tell him, hey, I, I did something wrong. And let me tell you, He is just, he is faithful. He will forgive you as you cry out to him and speak to him from your heart. Invite him into your heart. He will, he will change you. He will save you. Now, Jesus warns Peter this, and his disciples about falling into temptations. And he, he says, be careful and pray. Luke 22, verse 40, Jesus says, pray that you will not fall into temptation." Luke 22, 40, pray that you will not fall into temptation. Prayer is being proactive. Prayer is being assertive. Prayer is having a certain amount of confidence in the Lord that when you pray, God will heal you. When you pray, God will help you. When you pray, God will answer. When you pray, something is going to happen in the atmosphere. Things are going to begin to change. But we must pray in faith, believing We are being active in faith when we pray, believing that God will hear us and that God will help us. Now, faith is not just words, but it's deeds. It's taking action. And we believe that He is God. And so we pray to Him. We depend on Him. We rely on Him. We serve Him. We obey Him. Faith is not just taking a back seat or watching from the sidelines. This is knowing and being aware that there is a real enemy out there that wants to hurt you and wants to harm you and wants to tempt you, and you're willing to push back. You're willing to do something about it. And the Lord's telling him, his disciples don't you just sit there idle, don't just be on the defensive, be offensive. Be proactive. Be aggressive. Be be aggressive. Oh, I don't know where that came from. But pray in advance of the attacks that will come your way. And they will come your way. You will be attacked. So get ready for the attacks. Know they're coming. And start doing something about it. Amen. The Lord is telling his disciples how to combat temptation by praying and resisting the devil in Jesus' name. We'll come back to this idea in a few moments, but one thing's for sure. We are to overcome darkness and and temptations. We are not to be idle. We are not to be sidelined. We are not to be quiet. We are not to be prayerless people. And people, and Peter started out to understand who Jesus was and is. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Son of the Living God. And when we understand this too, things start to happen. It gives us confidence and our focus and, and, and we'll fix our eyes and gaze on him. Our understanding will change. When, when we understand these things, our prayer will be full of faith. Faith will increase. It will change the trajectory of one's life as well. It will change how we think and what we see and what we do next. People of action. When we focus on Jesus and start to understand his will and his ways, we will be blessed. Hallelujah. Verse 17, Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but but by my Father in heaven. The Holy Spirit is the one that convicts of sin, and he reveals Jesus to us, and he guides us in all truth. And Peter, 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 you are blessed. Because you're starting to understand who Jesus is. And when you understand that, Peter, you are starting to be blessed. Oh, he is God. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior of the world. In verse 18, I tell you that you are Peter on this rock. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. Now, some people teach and believe that Peter is the first pope and the rock of the early church, and I don't necessarily teach it or teach it that way. I believe that the church will be built on the testimony of Peter. And other apostles and disciples like him. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Savior of the world. Jesus is the anointed one. On that testimony, right? On that testimony, that truth about Jesus, the church is going to be built. Jesus says, with his words, Jesus says, it is my church. It is his church, right? He is the head of the church, not Peter. Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is the chief shepherd. And scripture is so clear on this that Jesus is the head of the church. And the book of Colossians speaks very clearly to this as well. And it speaks about the supremacy of Christ. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, verse 17 and 18, He, Jesus, is before all things, and in him... All things hold together, and He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning from the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything He might have supremacy. So it's on this testimony by Peter and the apostles that Jesus Christ is God. And that he is supreme. And that he is the Lord of Lords. Amen. And this is what the church is going to be built on. This is the foundational teaching. Oh Jesus. It's on Jesus. He is the foundation that we stand upon. His, we stand upon his word, And it's eternal. There is no other foundation. There is no other way to gain access to God. No other way to get entry into heaven with, with to God. There's no other way. Only through the power and the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the lamb that was slain on the cross. And only if you repent and you repent unto him, he will forgive you and you will be his child. It's only through Christ that the church will go forth in power, in might, in the authority of God. It's only through Jesus Christ that we can have, oh, I'm I'm all fired up today. I got to tell you, I had a little sleep. Sometimes when I get a little sleep and I'm just doing certain things in the Lord, it's just like I can't wait to come to church and see the people of God. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. It's only through Jesus Christ that we, as believers, can be successful. Jesus is building his church. So what is the church? What is the church? Now, in Scripture, we usually see two kind of usages of the word church. Church with a capital C or church with a, a lowercase c. And the capital C church is a universal. Now, one might say it's the Catholic church. Now, listen up. I don't want you to miss this. Right? When we say the Catholic Church, we're simply saying the church universal. When you see it written a certain way, it's the church universal, the church worldwide, the church with a capital C. As soon as you say Roman Catholic, you, you mess this up. You, you, you change this up. You, you change the meaning. It becomes a contradiction. If you say Roman Catholic, then it's no longer worldwide church that includes everyone. It's no longer inclusive. It's no longer universal. In the New Testament, both both churches are mentioned by Jesus. And while there's only one true church, we have local and global churches working together under the operation of the same same name in the same time. Let me explain this further. When Jesus says, I will build my church, he's saying it's going to be a worldwide church. This particular church is going to be a general statement. It includes every believer worldwide, globally, every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're part of the Catholic church, meaning we are part of the worldwide church of God. Every believer who claims to have have Christ as the risen Savior, who's born again, that includes the entire church and the entire universal church of people who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the global church. I don't. some people don't like this phraseology, but it is what it is. It's scriptural. And every believer who claims to have Christ as the Lord is saved, they make up the entire church. And this morning, we are worshiping with, with saints of God all over the world, from all different denominations, non-denominations, denominations, everybody. Part of the Catholic Church, meaning worldwide. Now we see this small group of believers, disciples, Local believers in operation, following Christ, uniting Christ, uniting in faith and love, being told that they're part now of a worldwide church, a worldwide ministry, and the church of God is going to grow beyond the local church, beyond the local boards. Go into all the world now, right? Go into all the world, not just local. Go into all the world now. We see this small group Happening here and developing here. And the Bible says the gates of hell will not stop it. Though Satan's going to try. And people are going to try. And others are going to try. They will not succeed. And so we have this local church and this universal church. Which is worldwide and both are important. And some argue well there's only one or one or the other. And I would say both are important. And we have both of them in full operation in scripture. And the local church and the local communities. Are often the ones that are helping to fund worldwide ministries. We read that Jesus will build his church. It will be a worldwide ministry. Throughout the scripture, we read of also local churches. Ephesus, Corinth, Philippi, other places. And we're all part of the worldwide church as well. But we should all be part and plug in to his local church, to his local community. Amen? And that's what you're doing today. You're part of the local church in this area, surrounding area. And I say New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania. And from there, we work our way outwards and further and further and further. And that's why that board is filled with missionaries because we also believe in worldwide ministry. What does the church mean? This is a Greek word. It means ecclesia, church, Ecclesia, the called out ones. People are called to assemble, to be set apart, separated from the world, separated unto God. This is important to understand. Especially during the season that we're living in right now, this coronavirus has really messed up people in their, in their mind about the church in so many different ways. One thing that I believe that stands out for sure, and the Bible clearly calls us to step out in faith, to step out in love, to step out and assemble. While many governors and leaders and Christians are staying, saying, stay home. Stay inside, don't meet and greet, don't go out, don't assemble, right? Jesus is saying just the opposite. He's saying we're going to go out there and be aggressive. We're going to go out there and conquer. I believe so much of what's happening in America and across the world is demonic. Satan wants to silence the church. Satan wants to silence the people. Satan wants to silence you. And he's going to do it in so many various ways. He wants to cover up your mouth. He doesn't want you to speak out. He doesn't want you to go out. He doesn't want you to be bold. He doesn't want you to face anyone. He doesn't want God's face to shine upon you. And he doesn't want your face to shine upon others. I get that we have to wear the mask. And I get there's masks out there. And, I, and we give out masks here. And people wear masks here. But we need to understand that something demonic is happening in America. Really around the world. Don't, don't the, the enemy is, is on the prowl. He, he's advancing while many of the believers and many of the watchmen are asleep and have abandoned their post. They have given up ground to the enemy of God. Many have gotten so complacent, right? With this alleged pandemic. I get it, it's worldwide, but I question a lot of what's happening. And I do believe a lot of what's happening is demonic. Here lies a major problem for us inside the church. And we should ask ourselves this question, how do we honor and follow our leaders and our governments and and those that are in power without disobeying God's words? Can we do it and be holy and pure? Can we do it and, and honor the words of scripture at the same time? Sila, Dwell on that And so once we know who Jesus is And once we know What the church is What are you going to do about it Going to do about it hey, yo. What are you going to do about it That's right Brooklyn yo What are the saints of God called to do Do we push back Or do we be, are we to be pushed back Do we hold the line Or give up ground do we advance the church and push forward or we give up ground and be pushed back? We are the church, the iglesia, the called out ones, the saints of God, the believers that are supposed to move forward in faith. We are called out to assemble. The church is not a building. It's the people. So it's not so it's biblical to assemble and fellowship. And I get we can do that anywhere. I get that. We have to assemble. We can do that anywhere. But I'd rather assemble in a warm building. Me personally, I rather, I know a lot of you were too, especially it's getting cold outside now, so we'll see what's going to happen, right? But we are to meet and greet. And it's not where we meet that's most important. It's that we meet that's most important. The local body of believers are to gather. They are to assemble. Why? God said so. Amen. Highlight that, underline that. Do we need to go any further than that, church? God said it, and it should be enough. We are to promote godly principles. We are to equip the saints for works of service. We are to mature in our faith and love the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to encourage everyone regularly and pray for each other daily and worship together. And the list goes on and on, what we're called to do. And while we offer online services, I get that, we do that, it's to enhance our experience and help other people along the way. There's something about us meeting face to face. There's something about us being in close proximity of each other and sharing some germs now and then. Right? Generally speaking, uh, we have been built and designed for community and for relationships. God designed it that way and he called us the church, the called out ones, the ones that are to assemble. Never leaving your tent or apartment or home or bedroom, but simply living in the virtual world. I do not believe that's what God designed us and called us to do. We were meant to be called out, to be called out once, the Ecclesia. It was never meant to be the virtual world, long time. But the virtual world and social media is to enhance our experiences. But that's not the end goal, to close all the doors and never fellowship and just do it remotely. We are to assemble and gather, pray and praise the Lord, push back darkness in the process. And so when you see people leaving for weeks and months, or staying at home, or refusing to assemble, to fellowship as the church, the body of believers. Usually, it's a diagnose, a diagnostic that something's wrong. Usually. And so pause and pray and ask yourself, what's happening and why is this happening? Very simple. Now there might be good reasons why you're sick. There might be good reasons why you have health reasons. Maybe you're a shut-in. And maybe there's a pandemic, maybe there's not. You need to pause and try to figure out what's happening. But it was never meant to be a long-term thing. A long time. It's not healthy. A part of, it's not part of God's plan or purpose for our lives. And there's something wrong when we don't meet and we need to pause. Now, how long is wrong? I can't answer that for you. I think that some of that is personal and left up to the individual. I think it has to do with your faith level. I, have, I think it has to do with health issues and the current situation that you find yourself in. But if, you're, if we are the called out ones, and we are, if we're called by God to assemble in fellowship and you don't do this, and if you, you don't purposely do this and fulfill that calling, are you simply being disobedient to God's words? That's personal. But you need to ask, God's, ask of God, am I being disobedient? In March, we believed it was the right reason to close the building for a while. In June, we no longer felt it was the right decision any longer. Things changed. Circumstances changed. We had more information. And not one person has been sick in this church who has come out together in this body here. Not that I'm aware of. Praise God for that. But things can change. And things are changing. And so we watch constantly the CDC and the governors. And they listen to their announcements and what's happening. And again, things keep changing. The rules keep changing. The guidelines keep changing, right? Science keeps changing, I don't want to deal with that issue, any of those issues right now today. But what we need to be aware of, if the government wants to start getting silly again, start shutting churches again, even in this part of the country, or tell us that we can't meet any longer, we really need to pause and, and process what is really happening and what our next steps should be and why it's happening. What do we do next? Now let me say this too. Today's the coronavirus, and tomorrow it might be the power grid going down and therefore our technology becomes useless. Um, who knows, uh, maybe it's a new virus, maybe it's a new issue, maybe it's a new problem, something that's keeping us apart. There's gonna be other op- obstacles in a way that, that's gonna hinder us from getting together. Please make sure that we have your right address and, and cell phones and, and telephone numbers and emails. There's going, to, there's going to be obstacles, all right? And I think if they shut things down again, it's not gonna be two or three weeks like, that didn't happen. It's not going to be several months either. It's going to be for a very, very long time. So pray for the country. Pray for whoever the leaders are. Pray for wisdom. And pray that, this, that these viruses go away and that God's, God just supernaturally does some great miracles here. Remember, it was only supposed to be two or three weeks. Now, don't be alarmed. Don't be fearful. Don't, don't be afraid, right? This message, though, is about us being on the offensive um, and being proactive And walking and operating in faith. It's about resisting the devil and evil. And I'll explain this more. But it's not about fighting the governor or those in authority. But it's about bombarding heaven with prayer and praise and worship. It's about uniting in faith and love and following biblical principles. Right? And if they scatter us, we'll multiply even more. If they scatter us will multiply even more. Why? Because God's church will prevail against darkness. God's church will prevail against hell. And I think the goal, the mindset, the general idea that Jesus is saying here, I believe is two parts. My disciples will be part of something much bigger than just their local church. And they will continue to assemble and they will continue to grow and they will have dynamic relationships, right? And it's going to turn into a worldwide ministry, both local and global working together in harmony right? But what's important, and I say this all the time, and my family, right, is committed to the local church and the body of believers. You drop us off anywhere in the world we're going to find a local church. We're going to find like-minded believers, right? We're going to find people to fellowship with it. And if there's no church, we'll start a church. And if there is a church, and we'll find where that church is, and we'll serve that church, we'll go to that church, we'll give to that church, we'll be part of that church, and we'll be part of the community of God wherever we are, whether we're pastors, Or or, or we're ministers every one of us are ministers so I'm not just talking to a pastor I'm talking about saints of God wherever you go wherever wherever you end up find a local church and support it and, and work through it and think locally and globally that's why that mission boards out here so we see it in our eyes he will build his church. It will be local and global. And the gates of hell will not prevail or not overcome it. Now let me quickly say this in the next few minutes. I think people misunderstand this portion of scripture. They read it as if hell is attacking the church and they stop there. Hell's attacking the church and they stop there. But our experience tells us we are being attacked. We are being persecuted, right? A lot of us are on the run. We are being silent in many ways. But I don't believe the story ends there. And I don't believe what this portion of scripture is saying that. This portion of Scripture is saying, push back hell. This portion of Scripture is saying, push back evil. Be on the offensive, right? It says we are the light to a dark world. We are to be on the defense. And we take a stand. And we hold the line. And that's all true. But here, in this portion of Scripture, I believe saints of God, Jesus is saying... You are to be aggressor here. You are to fight here. right? You are the one attacking the gates of hell. And I don't mean with, with, with natural weapons that were made with human hands. I mean we are to fight on our knees. We are to fight in prayer. We are to fight face to face to the ground in submission to God. We are to praise and worship the Lord like our future depends on it. And it does. Like our life depends on it. And it does. We ought to be strong in God's ways. Write this down. Ephesians 6 verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, right? Against the powers of dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The Bible tells us to be strong in the Lord, amen? In his mighty power, right? Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. It's something you do. Therefore, you do this. Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, and it will come, you may. be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm. Stand firm, it says. Too many believers are on the run. They're on the lamp, They're hiding out. They have lost their heart to fight, to stand strong, to hold the line. They have gone up and given up too much ground to the enemy. They haven't learned how to do battle on their knees. They haven't learned how we do battle. There's no need for armor if there's no fight. There's no need for armor if you're not going to fight. Many believers have just given up their armor and their sword is rusty and old and worn out. And many have given into culture and society and have conformed to its ways instead of be ye transformed to the ways of the Lord. Too many of us love the world and we have been seduced by the world and what the world offers. It's craving us and people are desiring it. And the ground has been lost. The church has has gone silent in so many ways. And the lights have gone dim. And in some places around the world, the lights have gone out permanently. If we don't do our part, darkness will push back on us. But Jesus says, oh, get ready, get ready, church. Jesus says, this is my church. And I will build it and I will push forward and so he's declaring success church that is his church and the church of God will prevail and death will not overpower the church and the sting of death will not prevail over the believers of the Lord Jesus Christ those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ he's saying I will build my church I will advance my church I will take ground and when we stand firm and we hold the line this means we don't give up ground we don't give up territory we're holding the ground but here It's saying something else. It says we're taking ground. It says we're advancing, amen? It says that we're building and we're doing and we're having small groups and we're moving forward. We're not stagnant. We're not idle. We're standing firm, yes, but we need to be aggressive and move forward in faith. Now, how can I say that, right? I I think we are to rise up against hell and evil and darkness and take ground. We're attacking Satan's gates. Should I get this this morning? How could I say that? Because nobody attacks with gates in their hand. Here's my gate. I'm attacking you. No, that's not what happens. I don't believe that's what's happening here. Satan is not being portrayed with a gate in his hand coming at you and being aggressive. No, that doesn't make sense. The church is attacking his gates. The gates are symbolic and essential for security and power. And we're attacking that. And we're going to break those strongholds in the name of Jesus. I will build my church. We're attacking the gates of hell. Through prayer. Through prayer. Right, we're going forward. I will build my church. He will be victorious. He will not stop. He will not stop. He will not stop us. Amen. The hell's gates, right? We need to push back. Hell's gates will not push us back. Jesus is saying, we're going on the attack. We're attacking evil. We're attacking hell. Well, the gates of hell, right? Those gates will not stop us. They will not prevail. They will not overcome our attacks. We will demolish those gates, those strongholds in Jesus' name. We have missiles that are locked and loaded on those gates and those weapons are not of this world. You need to understand this. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5, these weapons that we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they are divine power to demolish. Strongholds in Jesus' name. We demolish every argument and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. You need to have the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We are to be obedient to Christ. For too long, the church has sat silent. They have sat sidelines, right? They have remained idle in so many ways. For too long, we have remained quiet in this country. But it's time for a great awakening. It's time for the church to wake up. It's time for the Lion of Judah to make its wrong. It's time for the King of Kings to move forward and push forward his army. Oh, our weapons are not of this world. And when we use them rightly, great damage will be done. And we have armor and a shield that is superior to our enemies. Oh, church, we need to learn how to use those shields. Ephesians 6 verse 16 says, In addition to everything that I just said, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. We have a superior shield or we have a dome wrapped around us that can extinguish the flaming arrows that are sent towards us, right? What an awesome God we serve. What an awesome God we serve. Awesome in power, right? We have powerful weapons. But too many saints of God have forgotten or have lost their weapons or don't understand how to use these weapons. So what are we to do, saints of God? Resist the devil and he will flee. Take action. It's not stagnation. We to walk in the spirit. Amen. Amen. We are the move by the spirit of God. We are called to be moved. When the enemy attacks, the enemy will attack. Resist him in Jesus' name. But first the Bible says, submit to God. Be obedient to God. James 4, verse 7 through 8. Submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Obedience and submitting to God is the key when doing battle and taking your stand and position against the enemy of God. And so I blame the church, not the government, the church, the saints of God for allowing their voices to go silent and their light to go dim. Too many believers have stood up for the political parties but won't stand up for God and truth. Too many people have stood up for society, for culture, for its norms, and no longer knows what the norms are for the Lord Jesus Christ. Purity, holiness, righteousness, godliness, that should be our norms. Too many saints have been silent and their prayers are faithless and their voices are quiet. And I close with this, just another minute or so. Jesus was in the region of Caesarea Philippi when he said on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. And this area was known for idol worship. The home of the Greek god Pan was often associated with music and fertility. It was also the center of Baal worship. Caesarea Philippi sat at the base of Mount Hermon and from its caves the Jordan River flowed out of it. hundred miles, a couple hundred miles to the Dead Sea. So a float out of that cave eventually ended up in the Dead Sea, dead. The great temple of Caesar was eventually built there as well and became a major area for idol worship and demonic activity. It was considered the gates to the underworld. And the cave there was believed to be the gates and entry to hell. And it's in this setting, in this setting, that Jesus is setting up the backdrop of the world's religions. And he's saying there will only be one winner and he's declaring himself as the winner. He's declaring himself as the victor. He's declaring the saints of God to be the victor. Jesus wins. And if you're on team Jesus, you win too, right? Jesus will conquer the grave. Jesus will conquer all the idols. None will stand before him, and none will stand after him. None will be more powerful than him, and none will be able to overcome him. He is unlimited in power. He's unlimited in understanding. He was before all things, and he will be after all things. They, the rest of these idols, they are dead, they are nothing, they are meaningless, but we serve the living, risen Savior, Jesus Christ, the Messiah of the world, the Son of the living God. That's who we serve. And so I ask you, whose side will you choose to be on today? Heaven or hell? Jesus or Satan? God or the devil? And when pushed by darkness, will you push back? Or will you be pushed back? When confronted with Jesus, he will open up our hearts to him. But will you go to him or will you push him away? When confronted with Jesus, everyone has a decision they need to make. Some of us need to repent for our doubt and our complacency. Some need to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need you, oh God, I need you. Speak to Him from your heart and let Him come into your life and repent for your sins and He will save you. Say, Lord, be the Lord of my life. Some of us just simply need to figure out what our next steps are going to be. Who will we serve? Who will you serve? But everyone and every one of you need to make some decisions, amen? All believers, all believers, all those who claim to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ need to push back darkness and help build the kingdom of God. Now recently, just another moment, recently I heard of this acronym called PUSH, which means pray until something happens. Pray until something happens. And we are to pray this morning. We are pray in the new time. We are pray in the evening time. Pray without ceasing and pray until something happens. Would you stand with me?
1: Peace, bring it all peace storm surrounding me, let it rain. And your name is you still, call the sea to still, the raging me to still, every way. And your name, Jesus, Jesus, you make Jesus.
0: Some messages that I believe are truly anointed by God and need to go out and to be shared. And if you don't share this post, then you at least share these words or something close to other people wherever you go, whether it be work, store, we need to start having this mindset that we will push back or be pushed back. Father God, just help us, O Lord, in all that we do and all that we say. Guard our heart and our mind in Christ Jesus. Bless your people, O God. Continue to shine your face upon them, O God. Keep them safe, O God. Let them walk in the knowledge and the wisdom of you, O God. We thank you, Lord, for a wonderful time in the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Be blessed, church. Be blessed. Have a great
1: week.